Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast mailbag edition on a Monday. We have arrived to rivalry week. Uh, some people call it hate week. Uh, Oregon, Washington, top 10 showdown. First time ever in program history. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I, I guess series history that the, these two teams are ranked inside the top 10. Uh, game day is coming. Josh Pate is coming, which, by the way, uh, we are efforting to lock this down to have Josh Pate return to the podcast this week. Um, and so I, I have a feeling, Eric, you feel the questions. Yeah. A lot of this probably has to be centered around this weekend. It, it, it Yeah, a lot of it is. Um, I, I wanted to save some of the talking points to the back half once we get through some of the interviews with with players and coaches on Oregon side, but yeah, it is a full Washington show to the break. After break, we'll get into some other stuff, but people want to know about this game. Shocker. Uh, shouldn't surprise anybody as Matt ran through. There's a lot going on here, a lot to be excited about. Um, I'm pumped. I mean, we're going up to Seattle on, on Friday and, and this that trip is, is always a fun one and, and playing at Husky Stadium is, has not always been easy for Oregon, even though they've uh, taken care of business for the most part, but uh, should we jump right in, Matt? All right, we're going to jump in with a question from at DuckFanDan, first-time question asker, I believe, with just kind of a broad question to start our discussion between Oregon and Washington. He asks, what are Autzen Audible's biggest concerns about Oregon's matchup with the Washington Huskies? Well, uh, on defense, Oregon has to face, I was thinking about this this morning, a similar receiving core as Oregon has faced over the years, and I think the two that stood out that are kind of comparable, um, 2019 USC with Pittman, with Amon Ra. I think they had Drake London as a freshman. They also had um, uh, Kyle, oh, I can't remember that guy, the, the third, Tyler Vons. Tyler Vons was the other kind of big receiver. He hasn't had an NFL future, but the three of those guys are like legit star caliber NFL receivers right now. That was a pretty darn impressive group. Uh, Ohio State in 21. Same kind of deal. You look up at the mm-hmm. NFL now, you look around, you go, ah, I remember watching Olave. All these guys were studs. Um, this is the best group, I think, since Ohio State in 21 and, and, and probably in that top three with this group um, that I've covered or at least that I have had in recent memory. I don't know, Matt or Jared, or is there anyone I'm, I'm missing? Is there an obvious great receiving core that kind of deserves to be in this conversation? I can't really think I, about it. I don't think so. These are different breeds. Yeah. Yeah. The- I'm trying to think. Like, didn't ASU have one with Ayuk and yeah, somebody but it, else? But they aren't similar to what you just ran through. And yeah. what this group is going to be like Oregon has certainly faced incredibly talented individuals, but to have a core where you have two, in this case, three guys that are like yeah. be NFL caliber talents and probably really good ones, that's just pretty unique. So that's the big concern: is you're facing up against a great receiving core that isn't just one guy's going to beat you. It's three guys that are capable of beating you. Um, and I'll be interested. I don't, I don't know if I've seen what the updates are with Nick Mellon and Adunze in terms of their health. I know there were some concerns there um, in past weeks. We can get through that maybe as we get into the week, but in terms of just a receiving core to face and then to match it with a quarterback as good as Penix, I think that's the one thing I was thinking about too is obviously Ohio State had Stroud. So that's a quarterback that is, you're seeing what he's doing in the NFL really ca- uh, talented, but then in USC in 19, it was Keaton Slovis who he's playing on like his fourth team now. I think at BYU, we discovered over like a couple weekends yeah. ago. Um, mm-hmm. 
So that's the other part is they have this incredibly talented receiving core with with a quarterback who can really get them the football. So um, on that side of the ball, I think that's really easy. That's the concern because their run game is not really not something they really rely on hardly at all. It's this receiving game with those three players with the quarterback and they do utilize their tight end quite a bit in the red zone. So there's other guys to kind of be aware of. But um, on that side of the football, I think that's pretty easy. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to run through there? Not not specifically, no. Um, I think it's just been the kind of same defensive concerns for the season, more or less. You feel good about the D-line. You just want to know if the secondary can handle its job in the back end. And uh, this will probably be the best test of the season until they face USC. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be a bigger test. Um, I would throw out like a non-football-ish concern, and that's just the emotions of the game. Yeah. Um, this is a rivalry. Uh, we've seen the back and forth from both sides uh, on the field, the chippiness that that usually comes out in this one. And Husky, it's going to be up at Husky Stadium. So that this is going to be an environment I think we haven't seen before. And all three of us have been to Husky Stadium. Um, I think we've seen it hostile. I don't think we're going to see it anywhere close to what it's going to be on Saturday and how does Oregon handle that? How does Oregon keep their emotions in check? Do we see personal foul penalties? I think we will see both mm-hmm. teams commit personal foul penalties in this game. Um, and honestly, the one that the team that probably plays level headed the most or the, you know consistently uh, between the two will probably be the one that comes out of this victorious. Um, Dan is very famous in paraphrasing, but like be, just focus on the game. You know, don't worry about anything's out beyond that. The team that does that is going to win. Um, I'm real curious to see how Oregon handles it because at at Texas Tech, what was there? Five false start penalties on the offensive line. Um, now they haven't had many since, but they also haven't played in an, an environment that's even going to be close to this. I think Texas Tech was rowdy and raucous but i don't think it's going to hold a candle to what husky stadium is going to be like i will say like it's it's also that a good good points there matt in terms of just the environment it's also the situation where and we've talked about this a little bit and matt kind of touched on it with this being the first two two teams top 10 teams that playing here is is washington hasn't really had when Oregon has gone up there, a really, really dominant team, when Oregon has also had a really, really dominant team. Because, like, you go back and you think in, in what was it? Was it 16? Yeah, six, 16 was the year you – no, 17 was the year Oregon went up and got thumped with Braxton Burmeister. That was a really good Washington team. That Oregon team was pretty bad. And then you go into 19, you go into 21. Like, those teams were, like – like Oregon, I thought, kind of clearly was better in both of those seasons going into the game. This is one where both these are top 10 teams. These are – Washington is a slight home favorite, as you would expect. Um, there's like Washington, there's a lot of belief there, is kind of my point. Is like Washington fans and the Washington team, like they're really buying into this group. So, you know, you, you, you kind of, that sort of, I think, um, accelerates some of that hostility, some of that belief with the, within the fan base. Cause there was a time there when Oregon was just dominating this series where you go up to Husky Stadium and I think the fans that are kind of were going, I don't really know. Like, I know our team's playing better this year, but why, Oregon's beat us like a dozen straight years. Like, we're probably not pulling this one out. Like, there's belief with Washington and that fan base right now that they can do something really special this year. So that that also kind of adds to that environment component. Um, and then I had one other just on-field thing. 
Braylon Trice as a pass rusher. I just wanted to throw that mm-hmm. out. He's, yeah, to so this point in the season, the best pass rusher we're going to face, I think, without question. Um, I was looking at this. I was surprised. Washington has is actually last in the Pac-12 in sacks. They've only had six so far. Um, but Trice has 13 pressures. He's an NFL player. Um, I think it's going to be fun watching him go against Josh Connolly, potentially a decent amount. Um, but that one on that side of the football was just a, a quick matchup to touch on. There are probably other things, but I thought that was on face value one to, to point out early. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. I had the, the same thoughts just for the offensive concerns and rather than the defensive concerns. Uh, offensively, you just need, and we'll get to some of this later, like the the, the guys who need to have a big week. Uh, you just need your big-time guys to step up. And uh, it's going to be difficult, like Matt mentioned, over the environment uh, and just how hostile it's going to be. And Oregon hasn't played in that um, so far this year. Uh, Texas Tech was great, but it's not going to be what it is at Husky Stadium, uh, which kind of goes into the – one of the biggest concerns is like just to not having a slow start. Yeah. Um, Oregon on the road, uh, Tech, they don't get a touchdown in the first drive. They score in their second. It's kind of like a, you know a wash more or less. But then against Stanford, they don't score for their first two drives in the game. And no, they only they don't have get a first six down. plays. No, they don't. They only have six plays. And against Stanford, you can do that. Yep. Or the yep. Cardinal only only scored six points, but. Washington, for as good as Oregon's defense has been this year, will we'll put up points. Like, it's not going to be again, like what it was against Colorado or against Stanford. Like, this is going to be the best offense they play maybe all year, but definitely them and USC are going to be the top two. Like, you need to get out to a hot start, um, start executing your plays at the right level, um, not running into pre-snap penalties and setting yourself back because those can ruin drives. Um, that's my biggest – that's one of my biggest offensive concerns – um, and then uh, defensively, I, I don't think there's too much more other than the pass game. Um, you just want to, you just want to see your linebackers do well in, in zone coverage, and then come down and stop the run. Um, Washington last year ran the ball a lot more than I think we all anticipated they would do uh, with good success. So I'm not sure if they'll try to do that again. If Washington's OC, if, if Ryan Grubb, I think it's Ryan Grubb, thinks that. There's something that he could see that does that works against Oregon's defense rather than other teams that can't see it and doesn't work against Oregon's defense. So we'll see, but I expect them to go pass heavy, and that all comes down to what the secondary can do. Um, and I guess just very, very last, just health, who yeah. is available by week. Uh, didn't get to watch practice last week, so not 100% sure who came back, who is now out. Um, so that's one concern you have going into the game, but that should be figured out by the end of this week. That's a good point too, Jared, because we've heard from Dan the updates on Noah and Kyrie, and I guess you can throw in Andrew Boyle, but sometimes there are guys that we don't aren't aware were dinked up in a game that just aren't at practice that next couple of days, and we missed that last week. So there could be a player or two that is significant who just aren't there on Tuesday or Wednesday. Like That's not something to totally be surprised if that's the case. Um, as we know, Dan is not one to just volunteer injury information. <laughs> All right, second one. Oh, did you have something, Matt? No, go for it. Okay. Uh, from at Yule O Life. Oh, sorry, Yule for Life 84457. Defense has definitely improved from last year. Have they improved enough overall to be able to match up with the U of O or sorry, U dub offense? Hashtag odds and audibles. It's the question of the week. It's the, I mean, this is this is the one, right? This is what everybody wants to know is is mm-hmm. Oregon really struggled last year against Washington and almost everybody struggled against Washington. It's not like Oregon. It was like an isolated 
defense that couldn't stop Washington. Like there's a reason why Washington this year is averaging like almost 450 yards through the air. Um, it is a potent pass attack. It is again, as about as good as you're going to find. It is statistically the best pass offense in the country. It has, I think pretty clearly three of the best wide receivers you're going to face. So this is going to be like a good on good matchup for Oregon perhaps here. And is Oregon secondary that good? Like, are they, are they capable of locking down this group? Like, you have to be impressed looking at what, I mean, since Colorado lost that Otson, they've, their offense has done some pretty decent stuff. Like against USC, they needed a lot late to beat Arizona State. That was probably kind of disappointing. I don't think Prime was too happy, but that's still a pass offense that Oregon held 159 yards. It's gone out and thrown for, I think, close to 400 against USC and like 250, 260 or whatever it was against Arizona State. Can Oregon do the same kind of thing and take it away against Washington? Can they limit what they can do. I don't know. I think that's the big question. I'm optimistic. I'm, I've really been encouraged by what we've seen. But as we've been kind of saying, I think we pointed to this for a while of being like, this is going to be the real barometer game. Like there have been great signs to this point of like, man, they, they did it against Colorado. That offense is actually pretty good. Who knows about Stanford, but they shut them down when they needed to. But this game, this is a different animal. And, and if they can go out there and, and have a, a dominant defensive performance and somehow, you know, limit them to, 28 points or something like that that's going to be seen as a, a victory to me so um i don't know that's the question for the week i don't think any of us have an answer but to me that's the thing we're all kind of wondering going in yeah absolutely uh like you said we've been talking about it for weeks now of what will this look like against a real quarterback or real offense and like you know above average competition that washington is um i'll be interested to see Honestly, like what type of defense Oregon plays during the game? Because mm -hmm. for the most part, they've kept it kind of vanilla with their formations. They really just run nickel, and every once in a while, they'll run a dime package, just on like third down and long. Um, Arizona has had found some success the last two weeks against USC and Washington, um, running a quarter package, meaning so they have seven defensive backs out in the field. I don't know if that's what Oregon goes to. They have to have a lot of faith in their defensive line to get to the quarterback, if that's the point, or if that's the case, is three down linemen, one one linebacker, and seven defensive backs. Um, but Arizona did a good job. They held Washington 38 points, which, again, I know that sounds like a lot, but against Washington, that's pretty good. And yeah. I, I know USC ended up scoring 43 points, but it took three overtimes to do so. So they found some something there, and maybe that's uh, a defense that, Dan Lanning is looking at and maybe could implement, but I don't know. This is the question that we're all waiting for. Um, this is potential, like Eric said, like good on good. And like Oregon's defense is significantly improved. Like the question asker was saying, yep. they're, the secondary is significantly improved. They're just faster. They're better fundamentally. They have more length. Um, will it matter? We're just going to find out on Saturday. Uh, again, this is why you play the games. You think it could be one way and might end up being the other. So we'll find out on Saturday. A lot of this will, I think, be dictated by Oregon's ability to get the Penix with or without a pass, without blitzing. Yep. If Oregon, if their front seven, if their front, if their defensive line is as good as we think it is, is as improved as we think it is, they should be able to, you know, generate pressure with four or five guys. And if they can, that allows Oregon to do what Arizona did against USC and drop guys back and play that, you know, 
dime defense. We're going to hear a lot of dime talk this week, I think, at practice. Um, and kind of blanket cover the field and make passing lanes difficult. If they can't generate pressure with, with just their normal amount of guys, they're going to have to blitz because you, you can't give Penix just six seconds back there to throw the football because if he does, he's going to throw for 500 yards. doesn't matter how good your defensive backs are. They can't cover that long. You know, it, it just simple football. Um, I also think Oregon's best defense in this game might be its offense. And can, can we, do we see Oregon deploy uh, a game in which they don't necessarily try and milk the clock from the very beginning, but do they run the football a little bit more if they have success on the ground? And do they try and string together some drives where it kind of like what Stanford used to do to Oregon where, Hey, we're going to ball control and we're going to take deep shots, but our bread and butter is going to be the run game. And we're going to have that clock always moving so that when your offense gets the ball, you're not in rhythm. You're potentially behind in a, in a scoreboard, All right. and when you get the ball for the first time, maybe there's six minutes left in the first quarter, and you know we've chewed up a whole bunch of clock. I, I think real curious to see a how Oregon's defensive line plays, and b if Oregon's best defense is just going to be their offense milking the clock because I don't think UW can do that. I don't think like Jared said they they did run the ball more than we all expected last season, but. I also don't think Oregon's run defense is as good as they were last year. And they're, or I, I think they're better than where they were last season. Um, and I, I, I just don't, I don't see UW, you know, running at will over Oregon and they don't want to, they want to throw the ball anyways. Right. No, no, that's fair. Um, to the quarters are playing more defensive backs. I'd be really, I think Oregon has shown depth in the secondary, right? Like, Steve Stevens has played really, really well as kind of an additional safety. Brian Addison, we're not sure his health actually. Um, but like even last game, we talked about a little bit coming out of Stanford, how impressive it was to see Manning and Reed play really well on the outside in roles we hadn't really seen too much this year. I'd be, I'd just be interested to see from a personnel perspective who's in that package if they do go and play seven defensive backs, kind yeah. of what the formation looks like. And how much that group can hold up because it seems right like Oregon has some depth back there and they've gone out and added through the portal developed some guys it seems like they could be capable of, of holding up but that's the challenge right that's the challenge when you go against an, an offense like this with these kind of receivers is this isn't Stanford these aren't you know Nico Reed and Dante Manning kicked butt I think I, I actually remember looking at a stat I don't think they allowed a single re- reception in man coverage the entire game those two I don't know if they're going to be able to do that against Washington. And they're probably not going to be asked no. to, as you'd imagine you're going to see Kyrie and Jaleel play a lot, but you're going to see Nico Reed certainly play probably almost every snap like he has this year in the slot. So it's going to be fun tactically to kind of follow and see what, what Oregon employs there. And Dan said it many times before, it's a copycat sport. Like how closely are they paying attention to Jared's point to Arizona and what they've done the last couple of weeks and, and at least slowing down some of these explosive pass attacks. Oregon didn't have a single – sack and they only had two total tackles for loss last week or last year against UW. Like you can't do that again. You, mm-hmm. you have to be better. And if you are, that's going to significantly impact things. And Washington, similar to Oregon, has one of the better 
offensive lines in terms of pass protection. And part of that mm -hmm. is Penix is similar to Nick's. Like, I think sometimes we, and not that we give too much credit to the offensive line, but maybe we don't give enough credit to the quarterbacks. Like these veteran quarterbacks sure. have great pocket awareness and who also just like have a feel of where to go with the ball quicker than a younger quarterback. Like that helps an offensive line. But Penix is, I think, similar to Nick's, like basically barely been touched most of the season. So if Oregon can get home to Matt's point, that totally can be a game changer. I think that's a, probably a big point for both sides. Like Washington hasn't really been able to get much of a pass rush, but if they get to Nick's a little bit here and Trice unleashes and, and beats Connerly or wherever which side of the ball he's on, I could change things a little bit. That could slow Oregon down a little bit. They haven't really faced that so far this year. All right, third one from a familiar question asker, at Ross underscore Maselich. What three players have to have their best games as Ducks in order to win? Hashtag Ots Notables. Um, how do we want to do this? Do you just, you just want to go around and pick one and do like a little draft almost? Or do we do we just want to each run through three names? I don't really care. Um, I've got three names prepared. I'll just I'll just we start. go. Yeah, that's fine. I'll just I'll just roll through my three, and, and there's going to probably be duplicates. That's fine. I just uh, I have Kyrie and Jaleel as corners, and then I have Josh Connerly as the left tackle just against Trice. I just think that's a matchup I'm going to be watching really closely. Josh has been solid. I don't think he's been challenged though. Like you, will, he will be this upcoming weekend um, again, like against a, an early, you know, potentially an early draft pick in Trice. I haven't looked too close to see Jared. You probably know better with the mock drafts. Think of Braylon, but. Um, I know he's a player oh, that's certainly yeah, he's, on radars. He's up and down, yeah. Started the season high, kind of dropped a little bit. Just the production has fallen off. Yeah, he has, he has one sack, but he has 13 pressures in, in five games, I think. I was looking at PFF. Um, but yeah, then the, I don't even really say much more on Jackson and Florence. Like, if those guys are out there against those kind of receivers, like, it's 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 a big deal if they can hold up Jeez. in coverage. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. I, what was your G's about? Was that something else? Uh, kickoff time for Washington State. Um, for those listening, it just came in at 9.50 in the morning. Uh, 12.30 p.m. on ABC. All right. There'll yeah, be some more news one. to that from a basketball standpoint later that day, just as a tease. Ooh, a little basketball nice. tease. Okay, like that. Am I going through my list now? Yeah, go for it. I I, I just want to make mine quick because I'm guessing there's going to be yeah. carryover. Yeah, no, um... I actually didn't have a defensive back in mind, but I'm okay with it. I've got Connerly, I have Jordan Birch slash Brandon Dorless, and then I have Bonex. Um, Connerly, for the same reasons as Eric, needs to show up against Trice, who's most likely going to be on the left side of the line or going against Connerly. Um, that's just kind of where he lined up a lot last season. Uh, Dorless and uh, Jordan Birch, for obvious reasons, they need to get to the pass, or they need to get to the passer, they need to get to Penix, they need to cause havoc um, from both the interior and exterior of the line. Um, Birch has been great this season. So is Dorless at points. Like they need to, they need to show up and, and have a good day, a good day at the office. And then for Knicks, I mean, this is a top 10 matchup. Yeah, sure. You need your quarterback to be as good as he can be. And um, not that Knicks hasn't been good this season. He's been wonderful again. Uh, you know, he had huge moments against Texas tech. Um, he's just got to come in through like that again. And you need him to have a great performance uh, or else. Like if, if, if Knicks is off, it's going to be a very difficult game for Oregon to stay in because Washington's just going to score points. Um, Oregon obviously needs to score more points than the other team. And a lot of that has to do with how good Bo Nix can be. And so he just needs to have one of his best games as a duck. 
Uh, I'll go maybe just some other names beyond the popular ones because it's very obvious. Um, that's the brutality of being third in this list. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'll go Mateo and Blake Purchase because not only does Dorless and Birch need to be well, you know, play well off the edge, get get pressure, but those are probably probably throwing Tuioti too. Just that group, you know, those three guys. Um, they're going to be playing a lot. There's going to be a lot of pressure on them to play well. Um, and then I would my second one, or you know, my second group, I guess, would be the guys beyond Kyrie Jackson that corner. And I want to throw in Brian Addison at safety if he plays. Um, uh, he's important from kind of blanketing the middle of the field with his size and his range. And then you know we've we've seen Jalil Florence play quite a bit. Um, the first couple of games and his play has his snap counts have dipped a little bit the last couple of weeks. Um, we've seen other guys like Dante Manning and, and Bridges get on the field a little bit more. Uh, it's just going to be a collection. I, Kyrie Jackson can't do it by himself. It's literally just, it's not, Hey, Kyrie Jackson's healthy. Oregon's good. They're going to win because they've got a lockdown corner. And no, like that they've got two other guys that are really, really good. And he can't cover three people at once. Um, so your other corners, are going to have to step up and then your, your safeties are just going to have to make plays. There's, there's going to be opportunities where a, a corner gets beat or they're playing zone and that soft coverage is there and the receiver finds a little hole and your safety's got to ball hawk it and, and get to the ball, whether it's tipping it, intercepting it, hitting the, the receiver at the catch, something safeties need to play big because they need to be that, that back end. So I, I would say, the three freshman edge rushers, and then whoever you have out there on with Kyrie Jackson uh, against the passing attack. I think that's good. I'll I'll just throw like a bonus. You you need probably one of your running backs to play. You know, to and I think they've both shown it this year that they're very very capable. Obviously, but to Matt's point earlier about maybe Oregon's best defense is its offense. If they're going to establish, they can establish a run game here. That can be a difference too. And Bucky had an awesome game against Washington a year ago. I, I've said a couple of times he shows up in the big stages and, and and plays his butt off. I think he will again. But I don't know. I don't know if you need like the all-time greatest Bucky game to win necessarily, but you do need that component to be firing as well. I think to to pull this one off. All right, uh, three questions in. Um, let's take a break, and then we'll come back and uh, wrap up the show. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Uh, three questions in, two more to go. Uh, with a recruiting toss late in the, in the pod. Yeah, I figured we'd do a little recruiting talk. There's some. There's been some news here. Actually, we should probably expand that question because I, I think that question might have been asked before a, a certain piece of news broke, uh, kind of late-ish Sunday. Yeah. Um, so we should probably add that to that. But first, we're gonna we're gonna do one kind of season review-ish question. Maybe this is kind of a carryover from the bye week, but from at Prince Puddles, he asks, who are your didn't see that player coming players this year? Players you didn't expect to play as well as at the start of the season and guys you expected more from to start the season that have underperformed or not played. Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, figure we'll run through this quickly. I just, there's some kind of names we haven't talked about in this regard to me uh, a ton. Uh, in terms of guys that I didn't see coming offense, I wrote down Marcus Harper, 
I say that because I had felt when they added Angelau or Angilau and Struther through the portal that one of those guys was going to end up pushing him as a, you know, pushing him aside as a starter and make him kind of a key interior reserve player. The um, fact that he's been the starter all along along and those two other guys have played 18 snaps, I think, so far, kind of surprises me a little bit. Obviously, Harper played pretty darn well a year ago. Um, liked the player a lot. I just thought, hey, they went out and added two guys, and Struthers just getting healthy now. Maybe things change, but it really feels like Harper is is kind of in for the long haul here. So that one surprised me a little bit. Defense, kind of a similar deal. Steve Stevens is a guy who I had kind of, I don't want to say written off, but really wasn't sure what his role would be. And he's played his best football of his career. And I think like has looked a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say explosive, but certainly hasn't, hasn't looked as athletically challenged as he did a year ago. Um, this is going to be a big test this week to see, though, um, what how much they can utilize him. But he's actually been, according to PFF, one of their better defensive backs, which was not something he was a year ago. And after they added all this talent, I didn't think he would be. And then I'll do two quick on offense. These are guys that have not really made impacts, and these are pretty straightforward because these are just guys that aren't playing. Chris Hudson, didn't think he would play 22 snaps at this point. He played over 500 snaps each of the last two seasons. Didn't expect him to be a starter this year. I think we I had him as a backup, but certainly didn't think he'd be totally out of the rotation. <clears throat> and then similar story, Mace Funa on defense. Uh, he's played 56 snaps in five games. He'd played more than 300 uh, in each of the four previous seasons. So that one kind of surprises me a little bit, especially because it's those true freshmen who pushed them aside. So there's my my four names that I came up with for this. I will do I, – I don't know about you, Matt, but for the underperformers, those are my picks as well. I don't really know if I have an obvious other answer, really. I think everybody's been yeah, about I where I expected them or maybe even a little bit higher. Um, so I'll, I'll skip those for now. Uh, my offensive player didn't see that coming. Uh, I'm going to go with Johnny Cornelius, um, not because I didn't think he would be good or that uh, I didn't know what he was going to be coming into the year, but he's been great as the right tackle for Oregon. Um, he's been extremely athletic. He's been big and physical. Um, he's been able to push push people out of the way and, and just honestly do his job as a tackle and get outside on the perimeter. He's incredibly athletic for his size. I just didn't really know how the skill level would translate from going to playing at Rhode Island to coming to Oregon, like he looks great in his Rhode Island clips, but then you're thinking, well, he's going against people who are playing Rhode Island. Like that's not the best competition in the country. Right. You know, no, no disrespect if you're if you're playing against Rhode Island this upcoming weekend, but when you play against Oregon, you're just a better player on the opposite side. Um, and he's been spectacular this year. That really hasn't been a worry. Uh, I don't even know if he has more than three penalties on the season. He's just been great overall. Um, defensively. Tatum Tuioti, and that's a yeah. kid. Yeah. I, like, you know, four-star recruit coming out of high school, uh, coach's kid. So you're not exactly sure, like, is he really this good? Is it more of like, oh, he's a coach's kid. Like, he's fundamentally strong, so he just dominates the high school level. Um, we saw him in fall camp, and a lot of people were raving about him. And it's like, okay, is this just like how people raved about Damon David when he was a freshman? And it's just like these <laughs> right. fall camp series where it's like, oh, he's been pretty good, you know, blah, blah, blah. But no, I mean, he's been, as soon as he's been healthy, he's been uh, an intricate member of this defense. And to Eric's point about Mace Funo, like Tatum Tuyoti and Blake Purchase, two big surprises, um, have just completely taken the snap count away from him. And uh, then you watch Tatum play, he gets a sack against Colorado. 
Uh, he's pretty good in the open field and, and like coverage situations. I never expect an outside linebacker of his size or Mace Funa's size to be great, excuse me, like a great coverage guy, but he's able to move his feet. He's able to turn his hips. He's able to get out there and at least make it uh, complicated for an offense to go and try to attack him. So um, I think he's been really good out there. He and Purchase are two of my biggest surprises just because of um, I really like Blake Purchase coming into the season. He was one of my highest guys in the recruiting class, but I just didn't know if he would uh, basically play this much. And he has, and he's played well. So Tuyote is my answer there. And then Hudson and Funa as the underperformers. Yeah, I've got same thing for underperformers. Um, I'm going to throw out Jordan James. Yep. We all knew he was good, um, mm-hmm. but he's expanded his role and he's thrived in it. He's third in the country in yards per carry this season, uh, 8.74. He's tied for 11th in the country in rushing touchdowns this season with seven. Um, and if if you were to say, like, hey, like, if he had a, a normal amount of carries, just 34 carries for, for, or, for Oregon this season, um, the, the leader right now is Kamani Vidal of Troy, who has 100 – or excuse me, 835 total yards on 131 carries. If you took Ver, uh, Jordan James's like yards per carry and just cut it by a yard, he would have over 900 rushing yards if he had the same amount of touches as Vidal did. Um, he is producing at an all-time uh, high for him, per, you know, short career, but yeah, really, really good. Really, really good. And I don't know if I expected that this quickly. I thought he'd be a third down back short yardage guy like they were going to use him last season. And he's more than that. I think he's probably better than Noah Whittington right now. Um, And Noah's going to come back at some point next season. And he's going to have to compete for that starting job if he comes back, I guess. Um, defensively, I, I was going to say Tatum, I'll throw out Cole Martin and probably Jalil Florence as well. Um, neither guy, Florence didn't play much last season. He, he played in every game, but it wasn't a lot of snaps. Um, it was primarily special teams. He's looked really good in a couple games and then Cole Martin's just a freshman. Um, and I I just didn't figure he was going to be. We saw some stuff during spring, you know, spring ball in the spring game, but I just didn't think he was going to be a guy that would be beyond special teams. Looking at who they had on the roster um, and the positions that he's playing as well, uh, I just didn't think he'd be a, a regular rotation guy on the defensive side of the football. In a really crowded defensive backfield, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, another guy? Bryce Patcher, it's going to yeah. give a shout out to my man's um, mm-hmm. big surprise. Uh, I think he's probably the biggest surprise in the team, to be honest with you. Yeah. I don't think yeah. anybody at all, including me, saw that coming where he'd be a, an intricate part of their defense as well. So just a shout out to him. And it's notable with Bryce that, you know, he got the opening game start. And you kind of thought, oh, that's that's exciting. But I don't know if we expected necessarily that um, – that Bryce would continue to be this involved in that linebacker rotation. Like he, it, his, it's not like his snap yeah. count has just completely fallen off over the course of no, the no, last no. couple of weeks. Like he's continued to play a lot. 
All right, last one from at QuackAttack74. What are the chances of Oregon being able to flip Elijah Rushing since he decommitted from Arizona and get Aiden Breland to commit this weekend? Hashtag Ottsnotables. Matt, we'll throw it to you, and then maybe we can jump into the most recent commitment, which Oregon landed on Sunday as a pretty big junior college ad. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you like your chances right now with rushing. I mean, Blair and Steve Wiltfong immediately put crystal balls in late Sunday night. If you missed that, um, Oregon was probably the, the second choice when he committed to Arizona back in the spring slash summer. Um, we all knew Oregon wasn't going to stop recruiting the players that, you know, the five stars that, that commit elsewhere and they haven't stopped recruiting with uh, Elijah rushing. Um, they were at one point viewed the favorite. And so this is just the natural, yeah. you know, progression here. Oregon's guys are, you know, at that same position are doing a really good job this season. Um, Dan Lanning's defense has made, made a jump. Uh, I, I think you look at the fact that Oregon is, really, really good this season. And while Arizona has improved, you know, it hasn't translated to wins yet. They've been really close. They should have won at USC. Um, they could have won, I think, at Mississippi State earlier this this season. Um, it just hasn't translated, though. And he – I don't know if you guys read his message or not, but he definitely was like – I'm paraphrasing, oh, man. but he, he took some shots at Arizona on, on his decommitment, and it was – Kind of, kind of, kind of. You, you don't see that very often. Uh, and no. about how his development, he felt like wasn't going to be where it needed to be if he went to Arizona. Um, I, I, I would be. I don't want to say like guaranteed that he's going to commit to Oregon, but it looks like it's going to be a pretty big shock if it doesn't happen at some point. Um, now Breland, I. This goes back and forth. Like you read the reports from our national guys, you read the reports from the Georgia side, and it feels like it's gone back and forth every you know every week. I still maintain distance usually wins out in these scenarios, um, and he's a West Coast kid, so maybe you know, Oregon success up front. Again, this season, they've got a lot of guys that could be gone after next season. We know Dorless is gone. We know Popo's gone. Uh, Taki's gone. Um, there's going to be some other guys in that group that could probably either they go pro or they choose to transfer, or maybe they're just done playing college football. Like, I think all three of those scenarios are probably possibilities for some guys. Um, the door is open for a freshman, even though they loaded up last season, just to, to enter fall camp next year with a legitimate chance to play. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I, I think, you know, maybe things are going towards Oregon's way. His his date of commitment, uh, the 14th, that feels very orchestrated in Oregon's favor. Um, I don't know Breland, but that's a very random date. You, you know, he, he didn't say it's his mom's birthday or grandma's birthday or, you know, some significance. Maybe it is. Maybe we find out on the day of his announcement. But um, it just feels very coincidental that uh, the day Oregon plays Washington, Breland's also going to be making his commitment. Could be pretty good news that day. If that, that could be a pretty good day if everything goes to plan, if, uh, if your yeah. intuition is correct there. Um, I just had one thought on this that, that I wanted to add, and then we can talk more about um, Sione Lalea. 
I'm, I'm not sure mm -hmm. entirely on that pronunciation, yep. but I think I'm close-ish. Um, just that I was watching, I don't know if you guys watch this or not, but uh, Adam Brenneman had Dan Landing on for like a 51-minute, like near hour-long podcast interview uh, late last week. And I went, I went and listened to that over the weekend. And he talked about kind of prep recruiting and the value, especially on the defensive line, that that's a developmental position that they want to try to recruit in big numbers to develop. Um, and you can see what they did last class. I think we've seen incredible returns immediately, as we talked about. But then the long-term perspectives of once they do get like Johnny Bowens and Mikhail Gardner and Karen Screen and all of these guys start to kind of develop and play roles in future seasons, you can see that Oregon is obviously quite aggressive recruiting up front on defense. If they're able to land rushing and Breland with what they've already done in this class, at the, especially at linebacker, like you can see that that's a that the front seven on defense is clearly an area, and it's not I'm not breaking any news here, but clearly an area that Dan thinks that it's valuable to hit the preps really hard. Because he did say that there are position groups like you maybe don't see that much development. So the value there is more value in just going and pulling a a, a portal kit or two. So but that was kind of an interesting sort of subplot that Dan shared on that 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 podcast interview. It makes sense. It's what Georgia did. It's what Georgia continues to do. Um, you know, like it. It's a very recent example, but Georgia literally went from Jordan Davis, who was a first-round pick, to Jalen Carter, who was a first-round pick. And now both are on the Eagles, coincidentally. But um, that's the point. It's like, oh, no, we lose this guy? Okay. Like, he was great for us. That's great. Like, he's going to be a first-round pick or he's going to be drafted or whatever the case may be. But, like, we're okay with who we have behind him because we've developed the talent to do so. And like Eric was just saying, you know, Oregon brought in a million defensive linemen last year who a bunch of them were four-star recruits, a couple are more developmental guys like Tavita Pome, or, yeah. but you already see them making an impact. I mean, Popo Amavai doesn't really play that much against Stanford, and Amari Washington is like one of the first interior defensive linemen to really come off the bench, who's out of the defensive line rotation. Right, looked good. Um, and very, very, very limited snaps. A, a reminder, limited snaps. A lot of these guys have looked pretty good. I mean, again, they're all at the end of the game, they're limited snaps, but like, you can see dudes like Terrence Green or Michael Gardner, Johnny Bowens, like Amari Washington, as we just mentioned. Like they pop a little bit. There's these little moments. And again, we don't see this, but every day those guys learn from Tosh Lupoy and Dan and guys that they play with in practice and to get better and better and better. And that's what Dan is hoping to do again for this class. It's not only just Elijah Rushing and Aiden Breland, but Jericho Johnson is another defensive mm -hmm. lineman that we should mention from yes. Armio High School in Fairfield, California. Like, he's a dude, and he's honestly one of the he's one of the wants I, that I have of this class. Like, he's a big kid. He's like six foot four, three hundred pounds. He's an interior lineman while rushing in Breland. Breland's more interior, but he's like doorless, kind of that defensive end role. Could slide outside, could slide in. Yeah. Jericho Johnson's an interior kid, and I think it's really important to find guys who can not only stop the run in the interior, but also pass rush. Like think of Popo, think of Casey, Taki, especially this year, have been able to do both. Like yeah. those guys are hard to find California native um, coming down to, to seemingly Oregon, Washington, USC had a trip to Oregon, I think against Colorado. So that's another guy that you can add to this list of, Hey, Dan is trying to reload the defensive line after losing a lot of these kids. It's like, oh, well, he's just going to go potentially get two five stars and a highly rated four star to do so. Like, this is why Dan Landing was brought to Oregon. Um, I remember the sky was definitely falling when Elijah Rushing originally committed to Arizona. This is recruiting. As much as it, it, 
as much as it hurt like hurts to say but like these are 17 18 year old kids making a decision yeah and they're incredibly important decisions and these are decisions that you're that the parents are going to think about that the kid is going to think about um and ultimately like sometimes they decide to decommit sometimes they decide not to but um i there was no reason for the sky to fall originally and now i mean obviously you can see why like you're gonna have to this is the blind faith that i've talked about on this podcast before with dan and the company like you have to trust them kind of blindly at points with their player development and player evaluation to know who's it going to be that they're going to go after the most and no surprise that they're going after a couple five stars and a high four star but um, this is part of the process. It may look bad in June, but signing day this is all over message boards. Signing day is in you know February. There's a lot of time between then and now. I think it was either here or in the Thursday quack chats that we do. Um, I brought up the fact that I was more interested in seeing the flips that Oregon was going to try and get. Right. And, you know, I didn't specifically have like names in my head. You know, I was predicting, but like, this is a perfect example of it. And we're starting to get to that point now in the, in the year where like to Jared's point signing day, the first one is almost two months away. And Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of kids that are out there. A lot of parents that are out there going, did we make the right decision based off of what we've seen through the first half of the football season? And we've only got six, eight, 10 weeks to go until we have to put pen to paper and make this like definitively official are, are we certain with our decision or if there's any doubt, we probably should open things back up again and check out some other schools. Um, we, we've seen it with McMillan uh, or excuse me, Elijah rushing. We've seen it um, with, with Jeremiah McMillan, the, the receiver from Ohio who's committed to Ohio state. He was out here for, um, an official visit, I think, for the Colorado game. Yeah, um, I think so. So, like, we, we, two, there's two guys that, that Oregon's going after that have committed to other schools or have now decommitted. There'll be more. I guarantee it. It'll also happen to Oregon. You know, we'll, we'll see mm-hmm. a couple guys that are on this commit list to Oregon that will all of a sudden pull back. And that's just the name of the game, you know, these days. And the Flip season for the next eight weeks will really shape where this class goes. 23 guys currently committed. Uh, they're 13th in the country. Um, you add Elijah Rushing. You add Jericho Johnson, like Jared said. And you add Breland. And you're probably somewhere near the top five. Probably not in the top five, but you're probably really close. And you'd have you're a number clean... four. Oh, Matt, number Jared's four. Already... Jared's already done yeah. it. Did the math, yeah, number four. I was, I was just going to say, and almost, not more importantly, but quite importantly, you'd have a clean sweep with all the top front seven or defensive line-ish kind of guys, including rushing there as an edge guy. You'd have yeah. – Out west. The three best out west, exactly. Yeah, you'd have yeah. – and that's that's important, especially when you're recruiting, now going to the Big Ten to get those types of bodies because there just aren't that many out west. And it also means that – USC, Washington, and UCLA, in theory, don't have those same type of players from this class. So um, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of a double win. I think I forget somebody said that on a, our podcast. One of our recruiting and analysts, I think, came in and said something. So I've been Cooper, uh, Patagna. I can't remember, but yeah, that would be huge if that plays out. I don't know, but Matt, would you, you feel like 
fairly confident that, that something like that could happen? Or are we are we blowing, blowing too much smoke? I don't know. Should we hedge bets? No, I think it's I think it's a very real possibility. I mean, the fact that uh, Wilt Fong and and Blair both like within minutes of Rushing's decommitment right. placed crystal balls for Oregon. Like it was, it was before actually. It was twenty minutes before. Yeah. So like that that tells you a lot right there. Um, the Breland one is the one. I, I'm with Jared. I think Jericho Johnson uh, will be close um to Oregon I he's a good dude I I think good player I think Oregon probably leads there um Breland's just the one that you just don't know but you know because there's been a lot of well it's Oregon now it's Georgia well now it's Oregon now it's Georgia and you know that could just be posturing I don't know but again October 14th that feels very coincidental um that's the one guy, though, that I th- I feel like you look at and say, like, man, maybe maybe Georgia could swoop in. And, and look, if something changes and he goes to Georgia, like, can you blame him? To Jared's point, like, they produced, you know, two first-round draft picks, same position in two years. Um, their D-line is nasty. Their defense is nasty. Um, and if he goes there, he goes there. And that, you know, that, that it would make total sense. It would be hard to say no to Georgia, knowing what they've done the last couple of seasons and, what your future could hold, but Oregon also in a good spot. So I, th- I think it's realistic to answer your question. Okay. Do we want to touch slightly on the the junior college commitment yesterday? The number one. Oh yeah. JUCO. I think we have to. Yeah, six four corner Sam Mateo that produces a lot of uh, players every year. Um, Miami USC were finalists here with along with Oregon. Um, I don't know if you guys watched this commitment, but like really cool to see how like the community around him supported him and how thankful he was for that. I mean, uh, the commitment was like seven or eight minutes long until he actually announced it because he just really wanted to, to thank so many people um, for their help. But he specifically said like Demetrius Martin, Oregon's cornerback coach, um, the, the development he has done with Christian Gonzalez and now with Kyrie Jackson really stood out to him. And those are two guys that are taller ish yeah. corners than the, than the normal standard that we've seen at the position. It's changing, but still six, three corners are, are different. And Sione is six, four. Um, I wonder if this is like a indication that Kyrie's probably gone after this season, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he highlighted that. And then he also highlighted Tosh Lupoy's ability late to close the deal for Oregon. Um, you know, we, we hear a lot about Tosh's exploits on the recruiting trail. And this is just another one of those that, that you get um, gives you depth at, the, at worst case scenario. And probably a guy that's a potential starter next season. If you know, as good as advertised. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if it necessarily has to indicate anything with Kyrie, but if it does, this is a guy who could be a candidate to start next year. There's also several guys that have eligibility that could return. And there's also the transfer portal. So if Kyrie is not on the roster next year, which I don't know, and hasn't really been any indication of that. He's played really, really well. I'm sure he's skyrocketing up. I'm sure NFL scouts are taking notice, I should say. Um, but like, if he does take off, like Oregon has a potential starter here. If he doesn't, Oregon has another really good depth piece who could push to start opposite of him, right? I mean, I think that's the thing we've seen is Triquez returned as a full-time starter this year, and he's been pushed down the rotation. 
It's not to say I mm-hmm. think that would happen necessarily to Jaleel or something because Jaleel's a, a younger player who's, I think, developing into a very good corner. But if Sionek shows up and he's the second best corner, he's going to be treated as such. So um, I think this is a, a really exciting addition. And I believe only the second junior college player Oregon has has picked up under Dan, um, along with George Silva. I was just looking through that. I was trying to remember if there was anybody yep. before that, but I don't think so. So Oregon doesn't go Juco all that often under Lanning, I think in part because you can hit the portal and get similarly aged players who are also maybe a little bit more advanced physically um, and have played at this level before. But when they do, it, it seems like they're, I don't know, I guess we can't really say George has been awesome since he hasn't really played, but um, they've been selective and and it seems like they obviously really like this player and who wouldn't, he's literally the top rated junior college player in the country. So it's probably hard to argue against taking a player of this caliber. Yeah, very difficult to argue about taking him. Um, yeah, the six foot four, 185 cornerback, uh, like ideal. You know, it's very similar mm-hmm. body build to Kyrie Jackson. Um, I don't, remember what Kyrie is listed at on his GoDucks profile. Um, in, the, in the article with Brandon Huffman of 24-7 Sports, Sione says that he's coming in early. He's enrolling in January. So he's getting he's getting here as soon as he can, which has always helped. You look at the development of Cole Martin and Tatum Tuioti, like a lot of that goes into knowing the playbook, getting here in January, and then playing. And then, you know, some of it is a coach's kid, so they are very fundamentally sound as compared to others. But um, Sione, like – is going to have a chance to start. I truly think so. And I'm with Matt. I think Kyrie's gone regardless of at the end of the year. Um, he's shown a lot in his one year at Oregon. And I think that's going to be more than enough to get drafted. Uh, where that is, I don't really know. But long, tall, athletic, cornerback, like physical as well. Like Those are some really good traits that a lot of teams would like. Um, so he's going to have a moment to, to, to come in and immediately play. Uh, I know that Oregon... If they don't feel like they have a real corner, well, more than certainly go after one in the transfer portal. Um, but Sione is going to be a real option. Uh, College of San Mateo, uh, Bennett Williams was a College of San Mateo kid as well. Uh, I think Oregon had maybe one more from there. I don't remember off the top of my head, but um, real program, like Matt was saying earlier, they produce a lot of talent to um, Division One coming from the JUCO. It's kind of like a minor league system there. Uh, I like his tape. I think it's really good. I think he's another guy who's a little bit more physical than you you would think as like a West Coast kid coming out. But uh, I think he's going to help tremendously next year. And to have this is clearly the 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 I don't know how to describe it the the type of cornerback that Oregon wants like long, tall, physical, um, and he perfectly fits the mold. He's going to look very similar to Kyrie out there just with his his length and his height at the cornerback position. So. I'm interested to, to, I mean, if he signs, we'll see him in January. I'm interested to see how it'll look then. But um, I like the commitment. And obviously, honestly, you know, taking the number one junior college player in the country is never never really a bad thing. So you take that all day. Kyrie is 6'3", 195. So very similar body type. Yeah. So inch taller, 10 pounds lighter. Yeah. I don't think he, I don't think Kyrie is definitely gone. I just think it opens the door that, this is probably a real possibility because why would Oregon target a Juco guy and why would a Juco guy look at Oregon knowing positions and the guys that they have currently on the roster? Sure. But to Jared's point, like I do agree, like he's playing well. Um, it's tough to turn down. 
if the NFL is there. And it's going to, you know, I don't think he's a first rounder yet. And it's probably going to dictate, you know, whether he stays or goes is, hey, like right now you're a sixth rounder, a fifth rounder guy. We feel like you'll get drafted. But if you come back and do X, Y, Z, you become a first rounder. Like that's probably going to be what, what happens here. Just does Kyrie get past that threshold where it's more valuable to return or not? And, you know, that's probably oh, yeah. going to happen. Problem for Kyrie is he's already old. And yeah. I use old and air quotes. Like if he returns for another year, I think he's going to be like 23, maybe even 24, depending on when his birthday is. So uh, he's playing great this year. It's just my thoughts that he's gone because he's going to be, uh, he's already showcased how he, how physical and talented he can be. And he doesn't want to get another year older. So if someone's like, Hey, we'll, we'll take you in the fourth or fifth round. Like, I think I'll take that all day, but that that's just me. I, I just, and I also think his skill level can translate to the NFL. He just needs more. Needs to be heavier. 195 won't cut it. Yeah. To bring, and to bring the podcast full circle, in terms of boosting draft stock, this weekend's a really good opportunity for Kyrie Correct. to yeah. potentially do that. So, a lot of eyeballs, too. Yep. 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 All right. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds Notables podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Look forward to talking more Oregon at Washington throughout this week. Look for more podcasts coming your way there. And also, Go to duckterritory.com for more coverage of the matchup for pregame, in-game, and post-game coverage. All three of us will be there from Husky Stadium, 12:30 kick. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.